I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. I'm going to give the audience what I think they want. They want chasing, they car crashing. They want the cops to bend the rules to get the job done. They want the boy to get the girl. They want the good guy to win. They want the bad guy to die. Hopefully in the biggest explosion the budget will allow. But most importantly, Senator, they want to walk into a theater and for 90 minutes forget the fucking mess that you have left of this nation. Go get your bubblegum. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome back to the All Out of Bubblegum podcast. Today we are going to be watching movies from 1970 and 1972 respectively, which are... Cotton Comes to Harlem, and Across 110th Street. Gotta give those the proper amount of gravitas? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. I have with me Martin, Stein, and Brandon. Hello. How are we doing today? Hello. Well, actually here this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully doing okay. Kind of travel to a different time soon. Yeah. Yeah. For those uh, at home, where are you at today? I'm in Vietnam, uh, recording here almost midnight. I might be a bit more low energy than usual. <laughs> well, uh, let's start off with our first film here, Cotton Comes to Harlem. What are your initial thoughts here? Well, I didn't really get into this one, but I think I also, in my mind, confused it with Hell Up in Harlem. So I was expecting something completely different. Yeah, they those would be very different. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little disappointed with it, too. I liked Godfrey Cambridge and Raymond St. Jacques. They were very impressive in this as the two cops investigating this, like, um, disappearance of all this money that this huckster who wants to send um, Harlem African-Americans back to Africa. So they're looking for his money, his lost money. And it's, it's, I like them. They're a good duo. But the movie is kind of talky at times. And for an action movie, it doesn't end on an action-related note. It's an okay movie, but... I like the first action scene, probably the best of all of them, the big car chase. And the pro- from there, every action scene gets a little progressively less enthralling. So I was just okay with it. And I think the comedy gets um, less as the movie goes on. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Because they really work it into the car chase, but the rest of the movie, it's not really part of the action. Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah, I didn't, f- I didn't find it funny when they would do that i thought i wasn't sure what to think uh i was like should i should this, is this offensive is it being offensive on purpose i just i just didn't know me neither like the two black cops crashed their car into a, a watermelon truck and i just went what what are they doing <laughs> i did like the scene with the undertaker though where he comes out and i'm like is that guy the undertaker and then it like reveals like he's the like the sign on his shop as The Undertaker. I thought that was pretty yeah. funny, but there were some other bits that I was kind of like, eh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, the reveal of him in front of the the uh, Undertaker sign, because they show him putting on his suit when mm-hmm. he hears the gunshots. He's like, oh, he gets all excited. Uh, that's probably the only joke like that that I liked <laughs> in the entire film. Most of it, I just was like, this is really awkward to watch. Yeah. Now, Stein, you really like this one. Yeah, I had a great time with this one. I mean, this is one of the one of the quintessential black exploitation movies, really. Sort of, uh, even it predates the genre, to be honest. Because uh, this is this came out in 1970, and uh, then Sweet 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 back in Shaft's both 71, and that's kind of like the real kickoff point. So this is one of the one of the first ones to come out, and. Uh, made a lot of money compared to how wide it opened like it made five times its budget back and that's really what kicked it off in a way made people realize oh shit if we if we make these movies and open them in the right areas they they can turn a lot of profit and yeah I, I, let's I, exploit this yeah that too this one comes from a like a different place you got Ossie davis writing and directing it yeah so you got one of the few with an actual black director oh yeah i think he wrote it as well yeah he wrote and directed it and uh i mean he he was uh definitely in the whole civil rights stuff and all that he he uh, held eulogy at uh malcolm x's funeral so when when he you get the whole like the reverend huckster character in this and he's like oh i i could have people say like you could have been like uh, malcolm x if you wanted but you you just want to calm, calm people out of money. That like that comes from a real place. Like that's like Austin Davis is he has some anger. 
uh, you know, under the surface there towards probably a certain certain type of person. I'm not going to drop any names. Yeah, well, they 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 actually sneak in a lot of interesting things. Um, so the movie's kind of goofy tonally, but it you know it's it acts as a Trojan horse for in a lot of ways. Like there's a whole scene where there's a race riot almost started, and it's because there's these white agitators in the crowd. Oh, and so they are trying to he is trying to sneak yeah like messages in, but uh, I I still didn't. I didn't love the film still. Because <laughs> there's there's a there's a lot of satirical elements uh, in here and all, but there is there is some anger beneath the surface here. But it's he's playing it off like as as a comedy. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, funny stuff. I mean, the, the opening car chase is is definitely definitely a highlight. And I I really laughed out at the Undertaker bit. That is a great bit. Yeah. But yeah, then yeah, the stuff with the watermelons, if it doesn't feel so weird, because you know it's a, a, a black director, black writers behind these ideas, so he's, he's clearly like making fun of it in a different way. He's not just like pointing at it and laughing. Yeah, I think conceptually, the idea of people chasing around this big bale of southern cotton in Harlem, which is its own thing. Yeah, no, that definitely comes into the climax too, when they're sort of like the whole musical number and song and dance about the cotton. I did like that song though, even though I was kind of disappointed with the finale. I did like the song. Oh yeah, the music is great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's got a good, uh, a good opening theme song too, which isn't like in the whole black exploitation genre with all the the cool beats. It's not like the Shaft theme or something like that. It's much of a much more like just just calm song but i really enjoyed the music uh, through pretty much the whole thing actually it's one of the points that i really liked about the movie yeah and, and during some of the action scenes it does it almost drops out uh, the diegetic sound completely just in favor of the score yeah but yeah uh, i mean the the two leads in the cambridge and saint jacques are just just so good and really great dynamic and they Sort of play completely opposite to Cambridge being the, the goofier guy, and St. Jack is just, he is so fucking cool in this. I love him in this. He is, he's, yeah. uh, I wish there was a, like a dozen of these. Yeah, I, I really liked that, their, their dynamic together. I was like, eh, I'd watch a whole series about these guys. Yeah, they're probably the best part. Yeah. Did you guys I, I would... actually watch the sequel? Uh, no, I've not not nope. been able to watch the sequel yet. Mm. I know there is a sequel, but it's um, that it's it's um, looser based on because they're all based on novels and these uh, Chester Himes uh, Harlem series, I think, about these detectives. I don't know how many books there are exactly, but this is based on the sixth one. This is in the series, yeah. and uh, which I think is the most popular one. I don't know if it's the most popular one because of the movie or if it was popular before the movie uh, and then the, the sequel is based on a different novel that doesn't share the name of the sequel so i forgot what the name of the novel is uh, hmm. but it's that one is uh, very loosely based on the novel come back charleston blue yeah, yeah but that's not the name of the novel okay from what i've read they're both loosely based on the novel like the novel drops the whole comedy bit okay. this is just what i've read but i i did, you know, have not read the books myself yeah, no. From what I've uh, again, I also have not read uh, the books. But from my, what I understood was that Cotton Comes to Harlem is is fairly close to the novel, and uh, the the sequel, Comeback Charleston Blue, is is very very loosely based on it. And also that um, Ossie Davis turned down the chance to make the sequel, but that was because he and United Artists crashed um, on creative stuff, and it's just directed by some guy who pretty much never did anything another movie just did television mm-hmm. well the first one is definitely the better made one so you've seen the sequel yeah okay it's the uh, feature film debut of tamara dobson so i was interested yeah. i saw that the only reason oh, i knew the really? name yeah <laughs> so we just talked about her <laughs> yeah yeah it leans a bit heavier on the comedy the sequel um yeah, it's only available in a kind of a bad print. I mean, it looks like an '80s TV rip. Yeah, it's never, never been, never been out of VHS. No, it's it's kind of weird that the first the, for such a revered movie, there's basically a sequel that nobody talks about and that you can't 
get in any decent copy. That's weird. Yeah, I don't really know of another example of where there's like the, the difference between the original and the sequel, especially when the sequel brings back pretty much the entire cast. Like Cambridge yes. and St. Jock are back. And I think even the, the, the bumbling idiot white cop is also back in the sequel. Like Yes, and the Caspar and the, uh, the, the old mafia head boss, Honcho guy, he's back. Yeah. So like five of the players from the first one are back. And then still just like the sequel is so incredibly hard to come by compared to the original. And it's it's weird. Like why why couldn't you just release them as a double feature? Because it's not yeah. like not <laughs> like they're like not really connected in that way. It's not like the sting too. <laughs> no, and especially I, I, I think if you enjoy the first one, you like the sequel too. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I skipped around it a bit uh, to see and it, it looked fun. It looked like there was a great, yes. great shootout at a graveyard. Yeah, definitely a highlight. And this one also has a pretty cool shootout at the docks that I thought was really Oh, yeah. Fun. The night shootout. They used a flare gun to kill people. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a bit of an I didn't know what it was at first because he, he used it later too. But at first I was like, wow, was that a squib that went wrong? And they just kept it in. But then, when, oh, okay, no, he's just got some kind of weird gun. Yeah, but he just... He... Red Fox is in this. Yep. Yeah, Red Fox is great in this. <laughs> Uncle Bud. Thanks for Sanford and Sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another show that Tamara Dobson appeared on. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so this Uncredited, is what you've been doing but... since, yeah. <laughs> since, the la- since last week is just look up everything Tamara Dobson never appeared in. Yeah. <laughs> well, she was never on Miami Vice. No. But you know Which who is, is in the weird. sequel? <laughs> who is also in the sequel to Cotton Comes to Harlem? Is it Philip the... Michael Thomas. Yeah. Dubs. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't spot him, but yeah. He's supposed to be in it. But yeah, there was some good stuff in here. I really liked the, uh, I don't know, the subversive nature of it. You know, they had the, the big catch in the, the, the bad white guy was, you know, revealing him in blackface at a, on a, at a stage play. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that was for me, but that was part of like, oh, that's funny, but is there a meaning here that I'm missing? Yeah. There's several moments like that where I was kind of confused at what was going on or what they're going for, but I mean, it's an okay movie yeah. overall, I'd say. Yeah. But I had that. Well, yeah. I had that feeling like they're chasing, they're looking for cotton. Like that must mean something, but I just didn't really connect the dots, I guess, which was frustrating. Well, see, the slaves would pick cotton. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I get I get the meaning of cotton, but like in context of the movie. What is it trying to say with it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's uh, there's probably some sort of thematic context there with uh, bringing back or bringing uh, this sort of Jim Crow era thing to modern Harlem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically like Harlem, now they have their neighborhood in a proper city and then like bringing back the cotton from the south from what they representing like the past to sort of like there's never supposed to be cotton in Harlem. We've moved moved past to cotton. Yeah. Okay. And there's also this, um, well, the movie's really, like, it is an interesting movie because it doesn't really deal in the drug aspect of the race relations, which is usually a theme in these kind of movies because even though there's a whole bit where the guy kind of blows it because he's high the whole time. <laughs> Or guess that's in the next one. They do they do that a lot more in that one. But there's just like there there's an idea that's sort of out of fashion now, but was common at the time that drugs and whatnot were brought in by outside forces. In other words, uh, white people were poisoning communities with drugs. That's like the concept. But that actually happened, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like I, I don't know if there's necessarily a lot that points towards that. Maybe a little bit, but. It's more like, so it's more like a conspiracy theory. Okay. Um, one thing that was happening was uh, the CIA and FBI were complicit in assassinating black community leaders. Yeah. But I don't know if they were actually selling drugs um, purposely to poison black communities. Well, given the United States government's track record, it's not a very difficult conspiracy theory to believe. No, it's... Uh, and so you understand why it's so persistent. Yeah, but that's another thing about this movie. There just aren't many white people in it. Yeah. So the race relations, it's there a little bit, but not really. At least that's how I yeah, got it. Yeah, it's more the 
the understood like the, you know in the next one it's more implicit they, they they just straight up say it at one point yes have a scene where he's like uh you know you look out the window at central park he's like what do you see he's like this is the border oh yeah. the guy just says it right out between us and the blacks and you're like geez yeah but yeah yeah because you got like the police captain and all of that uh, the lieutenant are uh, both white, but there's not really any, there's no, not any conflict in it. Exactly. They're just like, oh yeah, you you guys are d- doing your job. Or, well, at one point they think they're not doing their job. But... <laughs> well, yeah. There's no like big like, oh yeah, you're bad cops because you're black. They're just like, oh yeah. Seems very, there's very, there's a complete lack of conflict between them and uh, the other cops. And then there's like one white mafia guy. Yeah, it was, he, he, he's, uh, must be the only Italian actor they could find. It was just one dude who's representing <laughs> the entire mob in Harlem. And, and they have it, they have him buy his way out at the end. You're like, okay. Yeah, that's, I guess that's how it works. That's the guy that also comes back for the sequel. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the sequel also name drops 110th Street, as in the location. Really? Not the movie, oh, okay. but the location. So I'm I'm curious when we get to that movie to hear a little bit about the real life 110th Street, but we'll get to that hopefully. Okay, it's uh, one of the few of these locations I've actually been to. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. So it's, it's a little different now though. It's not. It's pretty gentrified over there. Okay, it's New York for you. Yeah, yeah, because like the only sort of white character stands out is, is the like dumbass mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like, like uniform cop that they like kind of they trick twice first to get him to babysit uh, the lady and the preacher's uh, girlfriend Iris, Iris. and uh, yeah. she seduces him and uh, also makes fun of him and he has a buck naked in the hallway with a bag over his head they're <laughs> <laughs> not completely it's, naked it's pretty funny I, I just I was like, wow, that's just like, she's like, yeah, I'd have sex with you if you had a bag over your head, which is, <laughs> you know, like the, the classic grade school insult. And then sure enough, he's like, well, I guess if I could, I'll still do it if I wear a bag over my head. Yeah. I was like, that's ridiculous. Actually, that was the only comedy that I laughed at. <laughs> I was so like, silly. yeah. Yeah, I actually laughed. I was like, okay. He's running out into the hall. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at the end when they trick him with the uh, with the cotton, well, they I don't know how they really trick him. They make him search the cotton, and then they sneak the money back in because the money's no longer in the cotton. Well, that's the whole point. It's like there's a bunch of stolen money. Are they stolen? Who stole them? Really? And they're yeah, hidden so, in this uh, bale of cotton. Yeah, it's off screen. Red Fox had apparently figured out that there was money in there. And he took the bail back, and I'm guessing emptied it of its money, and then basically sold it to the stage play. I'm not really sure. But those guys got the Italian mob to buy their way out of Harlem for the low, low price of $87,000, and they used that money to stuff back into the thing. While Meanwhile, Red Fox is uh, off in Africa with a bunch of hot chicks, I guess. Is, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Red Fox faked his own death. Yes. That, that faked that the mob murdered him and dumped him in the river. Yeah, well, <laughs> so they never had any evidence, but they just assumed yeah. since he was involved that that's what had happened. I don't think he set anything up. He just disappeared. Yep. And they hold, like, um, like a broken piece of wood that they, like, imagine that they he was beaten up with. When yeah. they look in his apartment, they're like, oh, imagine what... Imagine what they did. He, they might, they did to Uncle Bud. <laughs> like they're like. Oh yeah, I guess the apartment is trashed, right? Yeah. Well, uh, we never seen the apartment before, so we might just don't yeah. look like shit. <laughs> also, we're calling it an apartment, but it just looks like an oversized shed. Yeah, it's, it's a shed. On a, it's on a, it's on the docks. Yeah. It's just, it's on the side of the river. It's just kind of this gross old bum house. I thought in. it was, uh, I thought it was a houseboat. Well, it could be. It, it's on some kind of floating platform. I'm not sure what the regulations are on that, and I'm guessing you probably couldn't do that today. <laughs> In New York? No, probably not. No, you don't usually hear about the people that live on the on the river there, in their boats, their little boathouses. I don't know. <laughs> could be. Could be a thing. I don't know. I don't live there. But um, maybe we should backtrack through the plot a little bit more. Okay. 
Um, so there's this huckster reverend called Dico Melli, and he's Which, selling. How how does he get an Irish last surname? <laughs> I was wondering that too. He's black <laughs> Irish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Morgan Freeman and Shawshank. Yeah, they have black people in Ireland. Come on. Yeah, Phil Lynette. <laughs> yeah, someone drop in that John Hurt line from uh, that Western movie. I forgot the name of it. The one Guy Pierce. Australia. Yes, the proposition. Someone cut in that line that we can't quote. <laughs> okay. Don't do that. It's a very racist line. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> but we wouldn't have said it. Oh no. no. He did. But you made me think it. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I've never seen that movie, so I couldn't tell you. You got to get on that. It's a great movie. I'm knee deep in black exploitation films right now. I can't be jumping on to Guy <laughs> Pierce westerns. Okay, maybe next month. Yeah. Guy Pierce March. <laughs> no good pun. Um, <laughs> so he's he's selling tickets on a boat to Africa, like you said. Yeah, the idea I think is that they will buy a cruise liner and take a boat with as many black people as they can back to Africa, which I thought this was going to be like a psyop or something. <laughs> That's what I thought yeah. it was going to be, because this is a, a refrain in a lot of places, but uh, I can tell you in the United States, it's a thing that you still sometimes hear people say, but they say it insultingly, which is go back to Africa. Yes. And so that's where I thought this was going. I thought they were, that this guy was tricking people, let's go back to the motherland, that kind of thing. And it was going to be a secretly white operation. That's what I thought it was going to be. But no, he's just mm. like Huckster, who's filled people or is uh, abusing or using the their dreams of african pride to take their money and run i was thinking like it would probably be better if you ask money for this from white people yeah well the racists would probably pay for this yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that could be its own movie really yeah <laughs> well that's it that's it's become such a thing in, in our culture over here, the, the, you hear it so often in that insult that that is legitimately where I thought this movie was going. Hmm. I immediately like kind of second guessed the premise. I went, no way. But I guess there was a time when people were really for that, uh, including blacks. And it honestly surprised me a little bit. But it, it, it had me feeling unkiltered the entire movie because they did that and, the, you know, the watermelon stuff. And I just was like, what what am I watching here? I just didn't I didn't get it at first. It took me a, a, a long time to vibe with, with this one. And I really only kind of started towards the end. And it was because of the, the two lead performances. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did like that beginning, uh, basically the guy they get this this thing that's set up is that the, there's a huge number of people in the black community show up and they're buying shares in this uh, cruise liner operation and with cash, and then they get robbed, yeah. and it prompts this big chase scene and shootout, and it's pretty fun actually. And the bale of cotton with the money in it drops out of the car during the chase. Yep. Yeah, right and towards the end, and then when they and then he crashed the car and everyone fucking dies <laughs> and blows up. And I, I kept expecting, because they always suspect that the Reverend is behind the uh, robbery himself. So I expected like the twist to be like, okay, the, move, the money actually never left the car. It was always in his golden van. It was a meat, it was a meat truck. They kept saying it. Oh, it looked heavily armored. I thought that at first, but then they kept calling it a meat truck. And I'm like, I'm not sure what that is, but I will uh, take your word for it that it is a meat truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I live in beef country, and I don't know what the hell that thing is. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a it's a search for this $87,000, and there are multiple parties looking for it. But it turns out uh, this homeless junk finder seller is the guy that had it all along when it fell off the truck he picked it up uh, and he tried to get some christian lady to help him <laughs> and then uh but yeah he ended up doing it himself and uh, i think he deserves all the money <laughs> <laughs> i i do think his uh scene bargaining with the jewish guy is the funniest scene in the movie yeah it's just uh what do they start at ten dollars <laughs> five dollars and fifty dollars and they end up yeah Going for 25. It's a very stereotypical Jewish yeah. character, but yeah, it's fine. I think it's funny. 
Yeah, but also then the movie, you know, we go on for like 40 minutes sort of going along trying to figure out where is the money, what happened. And it's just like, oh, no, the money was never there. Yeah. But it was just just about exposing the, the reverend as a, as a fraud, really. And then at the end, yeah, they pull, he... out the, pull out a postcard from Red Fox. It was like, yeah, I'm chilling in Africa with your money. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. I, I do wish the film ended on a more action-oriented note, though, because it just... It has a musical number towards the end, and there's a few people that get punched or shot at, but for an action movie, I think I was expecting a bit more explosiveness. Yeah. I, I was expecting the musical number to lead into the end credits. Oh. Yeah. But then it just goes on. <laughs> I mean, obviously, because the story isn't yeah. finished, but there's plenty of movies that have like a musical performance towards the end, and then, you know, cut to black, the music keeps going, and we get the credits. Yeah, yeah, the dance party music ending. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be very 70s. Because you get a a bit of a shootout and a bit of a chase and a bit of a beatdown. But then the satisfying part is just just seeing him, uh, like, hang himself, as they put it. Yeah. Like, to see him, like, just completely lose lose grip. I don't know, I say it's satisfying to see him punch a child, but just to see him, like, just completely, it's like with Martin Sheen in Dead Zone, to just, like, see him create his own demise by just being unable to hide what a pathetic character he actually is. Yeah. I think that's a good point. He also gets screwed over by his wife because she saw him kissing another woman. Yeah, well, he, you know, this is all his doing. He, yeah. he's, he's the one who fucked up. Wait, because... Oh, my God, when he... I can't, who, who, he they're who, so who gets, violent towards women in these movies. Yeah. Yeah, who, who's the lady that gets not quite murdered? Is that his so wife that, or his mistress? No, that was one of his... Uh, the, it was the guy who was uh, driving the other car. He dies. He was part of the heist. He was part. He was in on it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone dies when the car explodes. Yeah, and yeah, John, and he he dies, and so the guy goes, and the Reverend goes to his house, and basically uh, tries to use his influence to seduce the widow, and it more or less works. He's like, oh, if only I had some place to lay low, <laughs> nobody would expect to look, and you know, basically it makes her think that it's her idea to say, you can stay here. All right, and then his his actual girlfriend shows up and murders the widow. Yeah. Well, not murder. <laughs> um, she doesn't, attempts to murder. She doesn't take. She takes. She, she, we never see her again, but where she's not confirmed dead. They say she's in a coma with a fractured skull. I think. Yep. She gets smashed in the head with a ship. Yeah. Yeah, with a, a model. Ship, um, obviously. The model of the boat they're supposed to sail back to Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Black Beauty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess the only thing with the ending that sort of where it lost me a bit is just that the extra additional scene of the the bumbling idiot cop being a bumbling idiot at the station again. I was like, just we didn't need this guy to come back again. He is he is so annoying. <laughs> well, they really want us to laugh at this idiot cop. Uh, like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it's not my favorite thing in the world but it's like whatever at this point (laughs) but it is part and parcel with the whole the humor of this movie just kind of odd just totally weird um and i'm guessing it's meant to be subversive in that way so i'll go with it yeah because i mean the comedy is for for the movie like i don't think the novels are not comedy novels i understand they are just straight up like noir detective stories hmm and it should be there is a there is a third adaptation of these novels uh, called *A Rage Up in Harlem*, directed by Bill Duke. Really, mm. really. Yeah, but where uh, Coffin Ed and Gravedigger Jones, which is great names, I don't know if we mentioned those names, the characters' names yet. Though they do appear, but in in minor roles, and uh, I believe it's Gravedigger Jones is played by. George Wallace, which is very funny, He's a stand-up comedian. Which I guess Jeffrey Cambridge also a stand-up comedian, but I mean Jeffrey Cambridge never had Twitter. <laughs> Thirty years later, for me to associate him with, there's no Jeffrey C- Cambridge comedians in cars getting coffee episode. <laughs> just it just it feels weird that George Wallace was also was uh, Grave Digger Jones. That is weird. 
Yeah, because so, I mean, Jeffrey Cambridge you know, sadly passed away rather yeah, in his early 40s. Playing Idi Amin in a, one of those TV movies about Raided Entebbe, and he mm-hmm. well, he died while they shot it. And Idi Amin oh. said it was punishment from God. So. <laughs> and he he did two two black exploitation classics that technically weren't black exploitation classics in this this and Watermelon Man released on the same day in 1970. Wait, Water- George Wallace did? No, <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Cambridge. <laughs> okay. George Wallace isn't dead. He did not play Idi Amin. George Wallace <laughs> did not play the Watermelon Man. No, Jeffrey Cambridge did. Mm. Uh, Watermelon Man is uh, Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, satirical comedy about uh, a white guy who wakes up one day and is black. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, and so for the first half of the movie, it's Jeffrey Cambridge in whiteface. <laughs> With like a blonde wig. <laughs> That I good. hate that idea, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, you know who else played uh, Idi Amin in a movie about oh. the raid on Entebbe? Oh, I know you're going with this. Yafet Kodo, mm-hmm. star of uh, Across 110th Street. Well, I mean, Jeffrey... The Charles Bronson uh, Entebbe movie. Yes. I mean, Jeffrey Cambridge didn't yeah. actually play Idi Amin because he, he died before he could do it, but... Uh, you know, it's a connection. Yeah. Hmm. Rip Jeffrey Cambridge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did Did you check if he's really dead? Yes. And I believe <laughs> okay. for for the past forty five years. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe even more. But so we're certain. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. Raymond Sanchez also dead. Okay. Rest in peace for the past thirty five years. <laughs> Well, Across 110th Street is definitely not a comedy. No. It is one of the grittiest crime movies I have ever seen. It's excellent. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty dark. Uh, it's apparently an Anthony Quinn passion project. Not really sure how mm-hmm. why that worked out, but yeah. he was executive producer. He wanted to get it made, did everything he could. He really knocked on a lot of Hollywood doors, um, really lobbied for John Wayne in the part that he eventually took. Uh, also, Burt Lancaster. Oh, so it was his passion project, but originally he didn't want to star in it? No, he wanted to get some other big names, and he wanted Sidney Poitier in the Detective Pope role. Yeah, he wanted to hire, like, uh, Sidney Poitier and Sammy Davis Jr. and some people, um, but it was a big thing where people were like, no, we want New York native Harlem actors to, to play these parts. And that's uh, where Yafet Kodo came in too, because he is a Harlem native. And also, just one second, I just want, I've just called Godfrey Cambridge, Jeffrey Cambridge, for uh, 40 minutes here. So his name is Godfrey Cambridge. Uh, sorry to his memory, <laughs> whatever. Still, yeah. <laughs> sorry to Jeffrey Cambridge, who's maybe still. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know who Jeffrey Cambridge is, but he def he he did not. Yeah, he might be alive, he might be dead, he might not be a real... <laughs> but Godfrey Cambridge, he was in uh, a movie, some movies. But Across 110th Street, that has one of my favorite Anthony Quinn performances. He is such a mean bastard in this film. He is a racist, old-fashioned cop who thinks he can just beat answers out of people. And even though he doesn't kill anybody in this movie, he is a very tough, just like, nasty character. And it's very entertaining to watch. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was surprised at this, uh, and knowing going in how much he wanted John Wayne for the role, I was like, I can't see Wayne doing this. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, he wouldn't require yeah. much acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. But it's It'd Quinn, just be weird. Is the character supposed to be Italian? Because I didn't... Yes. Okay. Yes. He speaks Italian or Spanish at some point, but I was like, what What language is this? Okay, Italian. Got it. Mm-hmm. And it's a really violent movie for its time. It, I mean, there's a lot of juicy blood oh, squibs yeah. in it. And like, there's one point where a character, they say he, get cru- he gets crucified at one point and castrated. I'm not sure if crucified is like yeah. literally, was he literally hung up there? But I don't know if it states like literal crucifixion, but that's what they say. And um, sounds pretty brutal to me. And you see him in the back of an ambulance later, bleeding out because he's been castrated. And it's it's a tough, mean movie, and I like it a lot. Oh, you mean yeah. the uh, Antonio Fargas character? Uh, I honestly don't know the actor. I'm drawing a blank yes. here, but yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's the Antonio Fargus character, yeah. Okay. He was also in uh, Cleopatra Jones, the first one. Best known for Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, that's right. Ugly Bear. Um, the scene where he gets the glass slammed into his face, that was brutal. Oh, yeah. All the violence is horrific here. And there's a guy who gets, like, hung upside down off the side of a building and spun around and then eventually just dropped. There's a guy who gets lit on fire and burns to death. There's just so much carnage in this movie, but it really makes the movie what it is because it's just a tough, mean movie that just absorbs you in its world of, like, depravity and brutality. Yeah, yeah. really, yeah. nobody really makes it out of this film unscathed. It's uh, it's pretty rough. And also, the other thing uh, I should say is uh, it is uh, fabulously filmed. I don't know what they're doing, but there's a lot of these, like, handheld shots. Some really cool camera work going on here. I, I don't know what, what that is. It looks way different than films earlier than this, Yeah, for sure. But it's like, yeah, what? I, I do know what this is. It's because they were using a new camera. It was a new Ariflex 35mm camera that this was the first movie to use. And that was a much smaller uh, camera, lightweight 35 sound camera that allowed them to do 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 this stuff. Because uh, so, it was quieter and more easy to move around and stuff. So it's got this really cool experimental almost experimental not really experimental but a lot of like cool handheld shots and a lot of movement in the shots and some wild angles um more stuff that you would see in, in stuff like uh italian cinema for instance or sometimes in indian cinema where they everything is post dub and you have you don't have to like consider yourself with uh the cameras in the same way but because all the American movies shot with sync sound. Yeah, this okay. Was like well, that makes revolutionary sense. Revolutionary that they could have a camera that. that they couldn't but, uh, like this. I just uh, immediately there, there are all these low angles where it's somebody um, just probably walking backwards holding the camera, and, and these are like long shots where they're just walking around in areas. And I was going, oh, this is interesting, and it looks beautiful. You can see in the uh, the bed, the talk in the bathroom near the start. <laughs> Pro tip, yeah. don't film a scene like that in front of a mirror, <laughs> but you can see the camera. I was just thinking of when uh, when Anthony Quinn first shows up to the scene of the robbery slash uh, mass murder, and he's he's getting out of the car, and it's just this long shot of him walking, and, and we're filming against lights, through crowds, and it's just him walking through to get to the scene. And I was like, this is already filmed better than the last movie I, we just watched. <laughs> you mean Cotton Comes to Harlem? Yeah, it's better, much better than that. So I, I, mm. I, you can immediately tell it's they're using something different. And the crowds are very present, especially in the first half. Yeah. And it really gave me sort of a crowded feeling, a feeling of oppression, claustrophobia maybe even, which is also really well done. Yeah. There's a lot of that in this. Um, they, they do that very well, I think. Yes. Like it's like part of the uh, the vibe of the movie is is the uh, the watching of the neighborhood. Now they're always looking out, and and there's a whole scene where the the cops can't get any answers out of them. So the what is it like the there's like a black arm of the mafia. They send a a guy in with a hundred dollars, and he's able to get in. But the cops were just like getting stonewalled by the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose we should get into the plot a little bit. It's about um, three African-Americans who rob the mob. There's a meeting between the black mob and the Italian mob, and these three banditos showed up, steal the money, make a run for it, and so they're chased by everybody now. The mobs want them, as well as two police officers played by Anthony Quinn and Yafet Kodo, and it's a chase film from there, and it's it's really good. It's, it's more of a torture film. Okay, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, I get it. Uh, it. There's a movie that came out a few years ago called Killing Them Softly, which is kind of similar in a way. The Brad Pitt movie? Yeah, which uh, was a fantastic movie. Yes. But that's, these guys make it do a robbery in the beginning of the movie, and the rest of it is tracking them down, finding out who did this. And that's sort of... Getting the money back. Yeah, and that's sort of this movie as well. And I love that every group, every person in this movie is desperate as hell. Oh yeah, well my because the Italian mobster has a, like an introduction scene where he finds out that he married into the mob, so he needs to prove himself for his father-in-law. Mm-hmm. So he's like he's desperate to prove himself, so he goes real hard. 
and Anthony Quinn is afraid, desperate that he'll be pushed out of the force by this young new guy, played by Jeffrey Kodo. And Jeffrey Kodo is desperate because he wants to prove himself as well. So you have all these really desperate people just going after the money. Great feel, great vibe. Not a fun vibe, but a great vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guy that I, I is, you know, speaking of the desperation that I, I felt was sort of the non-cop main character, played by Paul Benjamin, the character of Jim. That guy, you just feel for. He has a whole speech where he's like, I'm 42 years old. I'm an ex-con. I'm black. I've got nothing going for me. You know, you're working in this club and you're being propositioned every night. How long before I'm telling you to take the money? You know, we need to, we need this. And uh, I was like, yeah, this guy's great. The desperation is palpable in this movie. Yeah, he's one of the robbers from the start. Yeah, he's the one that actually pulled the trigger and killed the mobsters. Yeah, so Huggy Bear was like their driver, but these other two guys, uh, you really feel for it. Huggy Bear kind of blows it for everybody because he's just, he's just. (laughs) He does what any man would do. (laughs) Yeah, he just, he's like hookers and alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Just blows it, blows it all. But I, I did feel bad for the Paul Benjamin character, so. He kills a lot of people in this, too. The other guy as well. Yeah. Well, it, it's he's he's great, and you absolutely feel for him. Mm. I mean, I did, anyways. Yeah. And this may be getting into spoilers, but I do like the scene at the very end where he throws the money into, the, like, the, the school um, yeah. courtyard. and The playground? Yeah, playground, yeah. Yeah, me too. It's like sort of a Robin Hood ending, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a nice touch. And he's very desperate in that ending scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's been shot. That's yeah. where I when uh when they're shooting through the door and then they, they, that moment where you see his lady is is dead. I was just like, "Oh no." <laughs> like this is this yeah. movie's not going to end well. Because like, I, I, up to that point, I was like, eh, he might, he might make it. No. And then as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, shit. This, whole, <laughs> this movie ends so fucking sad. <laughs> Although, you know what? You know, I think Mattelli was a piece of shit, so whatever. He can, he can get you, too. That's what I think the script, yeah. the script thinks the same thing. They're like, yeah, I kill that guy, too. Yeah. There's really no reason for him to die except just because, yeah. you know, it's a racist garbage cop. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, the the whole thing is uh, it goes down in flames. Um, this is I don't know is this the darkest one we've watched yet? <laughs> Feels like it. Definitely the, the darkest black exploitation film we've watched so far. Oh yeah, <laughs> maybe I saw the devil was slightly darker. Oh but yeah, not by much. No, but yeah, hugely enjoyed in, enjoyed it nonetheless. I, I I'd actually recommend people watch this. This is a studio film too, right? So it's really surprising how violent it is. Yeah. I don't know if it's a studio film, but it could be. And another thing that I really liked about this, and I might be rambling a bit now, but like it's a crime movie. And the crime genre is very sort of in pop culture, plagued by people idolizing the main characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Tony Montana appears on dorm room walls and stuff, <laughs> okay. even though like the text of the movie makes it clear that he's not a good guy yeah and what i like is that black exploitation comes basically with the exact opposite like black exploitation you're expecting everybody to be bad and everything to be terrible and the world to be shit and so i like that this is a crime movie where you just cannot in any way look at any of the characters and go yes great guy well yeah kodo yeah. seems like a pretty good guy in this but other than that yeah it's um, dark. not even him really though but also, he's he's one of the cops, so it's you know slightly better. Okay, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I just, I you know, when the guy they I presumably split them the money the three hundred thousand three ways, and you have a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen seventy two. Why in the world are you still in that city? <laughs> <laughs> like that guy could have been halfway around the world by the time. Yeah, anybody who's looking for him. But uh, yeah, black people. Where do they? Where can they go in 1970, American? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Especially a black guy with a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, he would have stood out, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think the his plan was to stay in the crappy apartment, but not have to work so hard. But I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, the plan didn't involve killing a lot of mobsters, making them even more no. angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he he sort of says that he's like I, you know, they're like. His his lady's like, just give the money back. And he's like, I can't give the five guys back that I yeah. killed. 
They're going to be pissed that I killed Polly from Rocky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Rocky's probably happy about that, though. <laughs> yeah. That's where all his money went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was definitely an odd double bill. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. they're both about missing money, stolen money. Wow, these movies could not have been more different. I also thought when uh, we were we started the film off with the the mop fellas, that there's like a party going on, and there was a cake that said Bon Voyage. I was like, oh, the ship motif comes back oh. in this one. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. But of the two, I definitely think Across 110th Street is a lot better than Cotton Comes to Harlem. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot more going on, uh, and. You know, for me, I really like my films as violent as humanly possible. <laughs> this one, so that this one, uh, that went right to the heart, man. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's vicious at times. Just all these people dying in horrific ways, and it's not as gory as it could have been, but it still makes its point. It's pretty gory. Uh, yeah. Although I guess when we're talking about the, you know, Huggy Bear being tortured and killed and he's in the back of the ambulance just like freaking out and i think his eyes are gouged out i'm not even sure it was he was all messed up but that said most of what they apparently did to him was off screen so you're just kind of left with this like shell of a man image and he's and he's it's still messed up it still feels brutal yeah that scene is well, the, the smashing the glass in his face is on screen oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah that's true. and i'm just racking my brain at how they did it oh, for sugar glass probably yeah, but you still cannot slam sugar glass into somebody's face. Like, sugar glass can still cut you. It could. I, I don't know. I, I feel like they know what they're doing. <laughs> Antonio Fargas did not die making this movie, so... <laughs> no. They did something right. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's not the Jürgen Prock now biting the death capsule in his mouth for Dune and permanently disfiguring his face. He what? <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess the stupid little prop they used for when he bites the capsule and it's supposed to be hidden in his tooth yeah do and i guess it burned his face up and oh no no that's he, why he looks like he, he looks he always looked like that oh well that's what i've <laughs> well i, I, I have maybe have mis- been misinformed my entire life <laughs> hmm i'm gonna look into that yeah okay yeah any other thoughts here but yeah uh, it didn't feel like a black exploitation movie to me, if I'm being honest. Like, it's a, just a crime movie. No, it's definitely more of a crime film. There's a large black cast that takes place in Harlem, obviously. But it feels more... Like, it's more like Dirty Harry, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Except with an even dirtier cop. Yeah, absolutely. There was something I read in a review, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but the stories of the white and the black cop parallel the white and the black mafias mobs oh oh i didn't see that in both cases the white ones are the established ones the older ones protecting what they have and the black ones are the up-and-comers who are taking over okay yeah i didn't notice that which is interesting which which give it a bit gives it a bit of a social commentary like black people will no longer be oppressed they're coming for what's theirs kind of thing okay mm-hmm. yeah that actually that, that works i get it yeah, yeah. but uh, do you guys know anything about the actual real life uh 110th street uh only that i i've been there but it was some kind of real life border between two parts of the city or not do you know anything about that no not really like it's just the it's just where harlem starts Oh, is it? 110th Street is... Oh. That's Harlem. Uh-huh. When you cross 110th Street, you are in Harlem. Ah, it's that simple. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that. Well, if it's just answer. a question of geography, right. then, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have any other thoughts here, other than, uh, honestly, I would kind of recommend both but really if you had to choose one or the other it's going to be across 110th street for me yeah i'll agree with that yes definitely watch that one and if low-key comedies are your thing you can check out cotton comes to harlem as well yeah and stein how would you because you really liked cotton comes to harlem yeah i mean check them both out i mean cotton comes to harlem's uh, it's essential black exploitation so if you're gonna check out black exploitation you, you you gotta watch it I mean, uh, yeah, across 110th Street uh, doesn't mix its genres as much. Keeps it pretty, pretty straight, pretty grim. 
pretty explosive with violence. Although it's, it's equally as satisfying to see Anthony Franciosa get his his demise as it is to see Dico Melli get his. That's the uh, Italian mobster guy who goes after the money, right? Yeah, it's the um, it's sort of like yeah, the guy who married into the mob. Yeah. is forced to be like the errand boy, and uh, yeah. Uh, I forgot the name of the actor, but the guy playing Doc, love his voice. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's he's a scene stealer. Richard Ward. Yeah, he's great. Him and that, uh, his, his sidekick, great. I feel that it does lose a bit, sort of, track of all his treads in like the final thirty minutes, especially with like Doc and the guy who just feel they show up at the end. They're like, oh shit, I almost forgot they were in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's, it feels like. A bit of a in the heat of the night, maybe. Except you know, there's no, there's the whole the, the black cop is is framed for a murder. That of course doesn't happen here, but it's got sort of the same dynamic. A bit of a you know up and coming young black cop, a bit of a racist old cop who sort of had to figure out how to work together, sort of gain mutual respect. All right. But unfortunately, across 110th Street did not get two sequels. <laughs> no. Well, maybe fortunately. Oh yeah, that too. I don't know if it's the kind of film that you make sequels from. No. Because who's left at the end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just do, like, follow Yafat Kodo on another case, I guess. Yeah. But that's what they did with uh, Sidney Poitier's character. Yeah, exactly. In fact, that's the film that I would probably compare this the most to, is In the Heat of the Night. Yeah, that, that's what Stein just said. Yeah, that's the, that's the only one that I would... It, it, they're not really the same, but there's, like, that... There's definitely that element there. Parallels. Yeah, and it would have been weird if he would have been cast, because then it's like you might as well just make it another one of the Mr. Tibbs films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was actually probably just busy with making those sequels around this time. I think so. I don't remember when it's like an organization. Is that right? I yeah. and they organization. And they call yeah. me Mr. Tibbs. They yeah. call me okay. Mr. Tibbs. I can't remember when. I think that's seventy seventy one. Okay. Right before this, then knock those out. Pretty fast, back to back. Yeah, seventy, seventy-one. All right. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Yeah, mm-hmm. petered out completely at the end here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, once again, uh, I'd still recommend the movies. Uh, definitely across Hundred Tenth Street. But yeah, if, I guess. But, uh, yeah. Like like Stein said, Connie comes to Harlem isn't essential if you're getting into black exploitation. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Uh, that might be. In fact, maybe that one's the, probably the best one to to start with is you sort of get the vibe going in what the genre is yeah and it's because it sort of uh, predates it so it sort of gets to set a bit of a template in a way because i think it's it's really the first one you'd call a major black exploitation film you know even of the ones that predate the predate the genre it's probably the first one that ends up being a major part of it even though it's technically not a part of it essential viewing yeah yeah all right. Um, join the Discord. Visit the website, alloutofbubblegum.com. Join the Patreon, and we'll see you next time. All right. See you. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Not a bad day's work, either. What is an Irishman? But a n***er turned inside out. Good job.